What's up, what's up, what's up? Welcome to another segment of Meninge Toi. I'm your hostess, Keeks, and I would like to welcome you to my podcast. What's up? How y'all doing? I pray that everyone is doing phenomenal. I know it's a lot going on in the world right now with this damn corona, this damn COVID-19, and it's it's a lot going on. Um, I really would like to pray that Everyone has all their necessities. If you are out of work, I pray that you have been blessed with um, with peace of mind. I feel like peace of mind can be hard to come by these days, especially if you're out of work, if you have children, you know, and if you're struggling to get your necessities um, and pretty much just praying for those without. So I really would like to extend my prayers to y'all for a moment. I just want to take a moment of silence. Just to pray for those in need and those um, going through a rough and tough time right now. I've been doing, I've been doing all right, you know, um, taking it one day at a time. I feel that spiritually I've been just, I've been having a lot of radiant energy, at least for the past few days. Um, And really just taking it one day at a time. I won't get too much into, you know, like personal stuff. But I've been doing all right. So I won't complain. I can't complain. Um, So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get right into this material, shall we? First and foremost, you know, I have to get my announcements out the way. Make sure you guys follow all of my social media accounts. You guys can find and follow me on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter at Meninjetois. Make sure you follow your girl. Secondly, make sure you guys follow my podcast team, SFA Charlotte. That is S.F.A.Charlotte. You guys can find and stream all of our podcasts the same places you can stream my podcast. Then finally, make sure you guys share this information with your family, with your friends, everywhere on your social media. Just go ahead and share this information, this knowledge, this wisdom with the world. I appreciate it. I thank you guys for tuning in. Also, I just want to welcome any newcomers. If this is your first time tuning into Meninjay Twa, I want to thank you for coming to get these spiritual vibrations for your mental stimulation. And if you are a faithful and fellow listener, I thank you for riding this wave with me and following me along this journey. So now that I got all that fun stuff out of the way, let's go ahead and get into our topic of discussion for today's episode. So today I will be talking about Buddhism and oppression. Uh, you guys know I'm doing a religion and spirituality series, so the last episode, you guys heard me uh, talk about the timeline of events, going going over the history of Buddhism and how it spread throughout the nation. So in this episode, you guys will hear me talk about Buddhism and its response to systematic oppressive systems. So there's only one goal, one goal, um... <laughs> The one goal for this episode is to discuss the oppressive systems at work within the Buddhist religion itself, thus making us have one core question, which is what oppressive systems are at work within the Buddhist religion. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. So when I am speaking of oppression the systemic oppressive systems that I am referring to and I will be you guys will hear me talk about are racism, classism, sexism, and heterosexism. 
So if you are not familiar with these oppressive systems and you don't know how they operate, I strongly encourage you to listen to my previous episodes in my Father Culture series. You guys will hear me. Um, you guys can listen to me dive deep into these topics. You know, I define what the systems are and I explain how they operate and function within the United States of America. So I strongly encourage you to go ahead and give those a listen if you are not familiar with how these systems function and operate. The second thing I want to let you guys know is that, you know, just in keeping that in mind, that with these oppressive systems, there is a social hierarchy. So whenever there is a social hierarchy, you have people at the top, you have people at the bottom. So with these systems and with this hierarchy, you have people who are given a set of privileges and you have those who don't have as many privileges and the most the more privileged you are um the higher your ranking is and then the less privileged you are the lower your ranking is within this social hierarchy and collectively all of these rankings and these uh this distribution of privileges it's to maintain a superior an inferior complex so you know the closer you are the more privileges you have the higher your ranking um you would be closer to um being the most privileged population and whereas if you are you know you don't have as many privileges you're closer to um not only being the less privileged but the way i'm just trying to explain the dynamic uh it's it's to maintain my white supremacy and the most privileged peoples within this within these systems are white males so um within that you know you have that hierarchy within itself and um it's to keep certain it's to promote this idea of keeping certain people or trying to keep peop- certain people of a certain demographic superior and then other people inferior. That's the attempt. And then finally, um, I want, this was something I was just thinking about, but I'm going to share it with you because I do have it in my notes, is that when it comes to discussing these systems, um, the way that they function within America are going to be different than how they function within other nations. So when you guys hear me talk about what I'm going to be talking about today, I will be specifically talking about how these things operate within America. Um, But I was saying that to say that it may be different when it comes to other countries. So let's just say, for example, um, the way racism may function within American Buddhism, it may be different than the way racism may function and operate within Japanese Buddhism. Uh, Sexism within Japanese Buddhism may function differently than sexism within Cambodian Buddhism, and so on and so forth. And I just wanted to throw that in there just to give us all um, some extra context and some other things to think about when we are having this conversation and this dialogue and discussing oppression in Buddhism.
Okay, so the first oppressive system you guys are going to hear me talk about is racism. Racism in relation to Buddhism pretty much speaks to the lack of diversity within the Buddhist religion and the Buddhist community. So let's go ahead and get into it. If you guys remember, if you listened to my previous episode, which I know you did because I, I just, I believe in you. I believe that you listened to the episode. But one of the things you guys heard me mention um, in discussing the timeline of events was that Buddhism was first introduced to the United States of America in 1966. Well, I came across some research that basically proves that it's not accurate information. Um, Buddhism has actually been around within America before then. So, with that being said, um, in pretty much in doing that research, I feel that that even shows the racism within um, that data within itself. But I'm going to go ahead and share this quote with you all before I start talking about it. So, Um, I came across some really great articles. You guys are going to hear me mention her name a lot within uh, this episode and maybe a few others. So there's this amazing scholar. Her name is Jan Willis, and she is a scholar, an educator, and she's also a womanist, and she's black, and she's a Buddhist. And you guys should definitely check out some of her work. She actually has a book. Um, I'm not sure if it goes in this order, but I believe it's called Black, Baptist, and Buddhist. So you guys should definitely check out her book. If it's not in that order, just type in her name and her book will show will show up. But I came across this amazing article that she wrote and it's called, Yes, We're Buddhist Too. Now I'm just going to share this quote with you guys. Quote, When we trace the roots of Buddhism's introduction to the U.S. only to the 1893 World Parliament of Religions, we ignore the fact that there were Chinese and Japanese Buddhists in this country decades before that event. The first groups of Buddhists were actually the Chinese who came to the West Coast as menial laborers in the mines and on the railroads. In 1860, the California census showed that one out of 10 California residents were Chinese. Around this time, the Japanese also came to Hawaii and other West Coast states, bringing with them the respective forms of Buddhism, end quote. So if you have immigrants that came over to the United States around 1860, you know, they have their religious practices, their religious beliefs. And that information is disregarded in the document, in in the research and trying to examine the history of Buddhism and its spread throughout the nations, especially when you're looking at how it's spread throughout the United States that that is a form of racism because i feel that with the research that i came across in um talking about you know when i was talking about it in a previous episode i feel that they were referencing the start of buddhism from a white male perspective 
it's not include because it's like you're not even including the fact that you had Chinese, Japanese, and um, you had immigrants coming over to the country, and you're not even acknowledging the their the their presence. You know, you're kind of ignoring. It's ignoring the fact that not only that these people were present, but that they had their religious practices and they that that they brought that with them and you guys are also going to hear me talk about that a little bit later in the episode but it's one of those things where it's like it creates this binary dynamic of buddhism and what buddhism looks like in america so it's like you have the i i don't want to I don't like to use this verbiage, but it it goes to prove this point. So it's like you have this Asian immigrant version of Buddhism, and then you have the quote-unquote American Buddhism. So even with having that binary model, again, that's a form of racism because and having this Asian uh, this Asian version of of American Buddhism, your Pretty much, you're just, you're putting all Asian cultures, you're you're putting them all into one and assuming that because they all derive from Asia, that the Buddhism that they practice is one, one and the same. Asia is a fat-ass continent with many, 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 many countries. So just because they derive from the same continent that doesn't mean that the buddhism that they practice is going to be the same even if it does have the same title if the religion the name of the religion is the same that doesn't mean that the practices of the religion will be the same you know japanese buddhism isn't the same as chinese buddhism chinese buddhism isn't the same as korean buddhism korean buddhism isn't the same as sri lankan buddhism sri lankan buddhism isn't the same as cambodian buddhism and so on and so forth so in having that assumption that just because they all derive from the same continent that the way that they practice their faith is the same yes that is a form of racism because you're not acknowledging the diversity within the within those cultures you're assuming that just because they all come from the same continent oh well it's one and the same so yeah it's it that's not acknowledging the diversity the uh differences and the variety within the religion and then in getting into this american convert version of buddhism you're separating it from the asian buddhism and it's like how do i want to explain this the separation i can kind of understand because it's like you're acknowledging that american buddhism is different from Asian Buddhism but I feel like even in doing that you're creating this assumption that America it's like you're you're acknowledging the fact that American Buddhism is American Buddhism but you're gonna just you know like throw all of 
the Asian cultures, their version of Buddhism into one fat ass continent. Like, it's not like you said, oh, Asian Buddhism versus North American Buddhism. You said Asian Buddhism versus American Buddhism. America is a country. Asia is a continent. There's a difference, a very big freaking difference. Um, The other point I wanted to make is that when it comes to this American version of Buddhism, it's always presumed that American Buddhists are white, specifically white males. They come from the middle class, you know, they're white elites. When it when you have that converse, when you have that conversation and discussing what the American Buddhists look like, it's always assumed that they're white and that's not the case. There are American Buddhists that are black. They are black women. They're black men. They're black transgender. They're Latinx. You know, there's so much diversity within the ethnicities and the races of Buddhists, of, of American Buddhists. So in having this assumption that, oh, they're just, they're white and they come from the middle class that again is um a form of racism because you're just you're creating this assumption that there's only one type and not even one type that there's that only one racial ethnicity um one race can be buddhist one American, you know, one American race can be Buddhist, and that's completely false. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to add. Um, I feel that when it comes to acknowledging the racial varieties um, within the Buddhist religion, it's definitely something that has changed a lot over time, you know. Um, it's changed a lot. It's changed tremendously from 1860 to 2020. And it is one of those things where it's like more research is being done and the religion itself is growing tremendously, um, especially within this decade. So I feel that with it, with it having so much growth, you know, we definitely will see more diversity in it and then in relation to America um, hopefully in seeing this growth and this diversity that you know it will combat the system of racism because yeah it's just it's 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 inaccurate it's inaccurate and it's terrible Um, but neither here nor there moving forward The next oppressive system you guys are going to hear me discuss is classism. Classism in relation to Buddhism speaks to the assumption that Buddhism is a religion that is quote-unquote only accessible to the white middle class. So when trying to explain this in a way that um, can be received easily, and well by others I had to think of a metaphor and the best metaphor I could come up with was comparing it to food deserts 
Now, a food desert is a community that does not have access to fresh produce and healthy foods. Usually, food deserts have a tendency, um, they do reside in low-income communities. So, when it comes to that, pretty much low-income communities, you know, they don't have grocery stores within like a five-mile radius, from a five to ten-mile radius. And if they do want to have access to fresh produce and healthy foods, they have to commute very far to get fresh veggies and fruits and things of that nature. Now, one thing you will also see within those communities that they have unlimited access to unhealthy foods, fast foods, candy, chips, junk food, you know, all that stuff. But we all know that those foods are not good for you and they they do damage to your health. They cause damage to your health and your body. Now, think of Buddhism in a similar fashion except for you're replacing the food with Buddhist temples. When it comes to Buddhism in low-income communities, you don't see many Buddhist temples. And it is one of those things where it's like you kind of have to ask, okay, well, are there not Buddhist temples because people coming from low-income families are not Buddhist and they have no interest in practicing Buddhism? Or is it also one of those things to where you have to think of the foundation of American practices and American beliefs? So American is um, a Christian-founded nation, you know. The nation was um, founded with Christian ideologies and Christian beliefs, and you know that those things are woven into our political systems, our governing systems, and so on and so forth. So, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, if the nation, the country was founded with this religious belief, then of course it's not going to um, have as many temples or churches coming from another faith because you know this is what it was founded upon but even in saying that I don't feel that that's I mean I I get that but I also feel that you know it's America's one of those countries to where it's like it's changing a lot of things change it's it's a slow change but things change um and when it comes to like I just think of my own experiences in coming across Buddhist temples I never see them in low income communities I never see Buddhist temples in low income communities I see a lot of Christian churches yes I don't even see mosques in low income communities I see a lot of Christian churches. Now, that's one of those things where it raises the question where it's like, again, okay, well, does that say, does that mean that people coming from low-income communities have no interest in Buddhism? And then it's also one of those things where it's like, is there a reason? What's the reason for that? And... 
Oh, I just had a I had a question in my head. It just came. It just it left me. It'll come back to me. I'm gonna just keep going on, um, and hopefully it comes back to me. I pray it does. Please do. But when I would see Buddhist temples, they would be in more with they would be in communities that have a higher income, and I feel that this is a form of classism because it's like when you have I just feel like it speaks to the lack it's it's a limitation you know you don't have as you don't have as much access to um a variety even when it comes to your religion so it's like you know when I was talking about the food deserts metaphor before you know you have when it comes to low income communities you have a restraint on your food you know you don't have as much access you don't have access to a variety of foods that you just get a bunch of fast food you don't have access to fresh foods and you really don't have that variety so it's like you don't have that variety when it comes to your foods uh you don't have a variety when it comes to your education system you know um you don't even have that variety when it comes to your religion. And I feel that, I mean, this is me just kind of going on a tangent and just talking a little bit about Buddhism, but I do feel that Buddhism is a very interesting religion. Um, and I do feel that it offers a very unique perspective when it comes to viewing different forms of life and viewing life in general so it's one of those things where it's like well why is this not easily accessible to people coming from low-income communities and then not only that why is it easily accessible to higher income communities the middle class white elites white liberals just some things to think about and I want to do more research on this topic just because I find it interesting. Um, but those are just some questions I wanted you guys to think about just in, you know, receiving all of this information. If you are interested in sponsoring this podcast, be sure to contact me at meningetois at gmail.com. Meningetois at gmail.com. I'd like to thank y'all for y'all time and let's get back to the episode. So, the next system you guys are going to hear me talk about is sexism. Sexism in relation to Buddhism. Uh, what? Sexism in relation to Buddhism speaks to patriarchy at work within the religion. And it also speaks to the lack of acknowledgement when it comes to um, women not being acknowledged and the growth and the dispersal and the flourishing of the religion. So I want to start this off by saying that there has been a very slow progression in um, in this particular area when it comes to re- to the religion you know there are some things 
taking place right now, some changes that have been made recently to acknowledge women and their um, influential women and um, what they have done for the religion itself. So I'm going to try to name and list the ways that those changes have been taking place. So one of the things I will add is that you see most of these changes in regard to sexism taking place in the Western Hemisphere. And I feel that in acknowledging that, I don't want to say that other nations don't believe in feminism or womanism. You know, I do feel that it's one of those things where it's a slow progression, you know, um, and it also depends on what areas that you're looking at you know if it's a male dominated industry you know it is going to have some resistance and things of that nature but um in saying that I feel that when it comes to combating sexism the western hemisphere the eastern hemisphere compared to the western hemisphere I feel that you know, here in America, we have a lot of privileges, and I feel that sometimes we forget that we have a lot of privileges and a lot of freedoms. So, you know, we're able to speak about, speak freely about our, and share our opinions about a variety of things, about our government, you know, about the state of our country, the state of our nation, you know, we can bash Donald Trump if we want to all day long, you know, you could tweet him personally and you won't receive like, I mean, unless you send him a death threat, I'm pretty, well, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure if you send him a death death threat, someone may come after you. But, But I'm just saying that, you know, we can speak openly about so many things and not be persecuted. People in other nations don't have the freedom to do that. You know, if you don't follow the religion that you're president or whoever the authority of that nation is like people die for things like that and not even just from from a religious perspective you know that comes from that comes with or that that comes from like a variety of things you know it can be the um it can be your sexuality you know for some people it is their sexuality for some people it is like you know being um a woman and speaking out and standing up for other women you know people are murdered for things like that so I just wanted to acknowledge that because not only you know and acknowledge the fact that as Americans we are privileged and we have a lot of freedoms but in just saying that you know sometimes as Americans I feel that we we have this attitude that we're better than the next just because you know we do have our freedoms and I don't feel that that necessarily means that we're better. I just feel that that means that we have more freedom and, you know, it's easy. I don't even want to say it's easier because I don't feel like that's the right verbiage, but you know, it's just, it's different. Let's just say it's different. Kind of like what I was saying before, you know, sexism here is different than sexism in Japan, you know, Feminism here is different than feminism in Japan. And I'm just going to leave that there and move forward. The next thing I want to add is that one of the significant changes that is being made is that 
women are being acknowledged for their influence in the Buddhist religion. And I have this quote from another amazing article written by Jan Willis. The title of this article is The Path We Walk as Women. The quote reads, in 2010, the Soto Zen Buddhist Association adopted the Women Ancestors document, which lists the names of important nuns and laywomen going back to the time of the Buddha. Women who have been overlooked for centuries. Today, their names are chanted in Zen centers across the country, showing how centering women's experiences actually expands what is intended by, quote, lineage, end quote. First thing I want to point out is that this list of women, of influential women, was adopted by the Buddhist Association in 2010. It is 2020. That was 10 years ago. Not a long time ago at all. Buddhism has been around in America since 1860. Buddhism has been around in the world since... Let me pull up my spreadsheet really quick. Um, since, since the 6th century BC. That's a long time of not acknowledging the influential women of the of the relit of buddhism and that's what i mean like when it comes to combating oppressive systems like people think it's one of those things where it's like how do i want to say this these things have been in place for centuries hundreds of years and the changes it's it's slow. It's really, really slow. And I think that's another reason why people get really frustrated and impatient with it. Because it's like, man, you know, this shit has been going on for centuries. And you want us to continue to wait? We've been waiting for decades, for centuries. What the heck? But that's me going on into a rant. I'm not going to go on into a, into a rant. Just throwing that out there. Um, but yeah, man, that's really, that's that's wild. Ten years ago, damn. That's, that's very, very recent. But... It's important that we acknowledge those women because, you know, it's inspiring to other women. And not only that, damn it, give them their credit. It's like if you write a paper and someone else gets you gets an amazing grade for the paper that you wrote, you want your credit. Give them their credit. They did their part. They were they left their mark. Yes, say their name. Include them, acknowledge them, recognize them. It is important. Um, I also want to mention that lineage in relation to Buddhism, because I, I know that was at the end of the quote, that pretty much refers to the transmission of Buddhist teachings going back to um, Buddha himself. Women have had an influential role and an impactful role a significant role in the transmission of buddhist teachings and these teachings you know they're transmitted a variety of ways oral they're written down 
But what I'm emphasizing is that women too have been impactful in the flourishing of this religion. So it's so important that we acknowledge them and that we give them their credit. Um, another thing I want to add is that, you know, meditation is very significant within a Buddhist religion. So there women have been master there are women that that have mastered a variety of forms of meditation and they have taught men this same meditation but they haven't been recognized for their work and it's not fair it's not fair to those women. It's not fair to the, to their families. And it's not fair to the Buddhist religion itself. Because again, it's keeping this visual, this cookie cutter shape that Buddhism is a male dominated religion. And that only men have a say so, have a space within the religion. And that's not true. Because not only men are Buddhists, women are Buddhists too. And the conversation is even going to expand to, you know, it being not just men and women, but people who are non-gender conforming. They're Buddhists too. Um, and in relation to acknowledging women, influential, the influential women of the Buddhist religion, you know, a lot of female scholars are publishing books and articles and they're doing research and making this information known publicly to the world about women who have had a very influential role in the dispersal the growth and the flourishing of buddhism so i actually just want to say thank y'all to all the women who have done their part and also thank you to jan willis like i promise y'all when i came across this woman i was like i want to meet her i'm one day one day one day i would love to meet her um and just saying thank you for giving women a voice and um and lifting their voices because you know it's so important as women you know especially when it comes to us trying to be heard in male-dominated areas so shout out to all the women who are lifting the voices of other women who have been ignored for so many years thank you guys thank you thank you thank you thank you and then the final quote i have comes from the same article um, and this quote pretty much speaks to creating safe spaces for women to be heard. The quote reads, since the late 18, oops, sorry, I read that date wrong. Um, since the late 1980s, the Saki, I'm sorry, I'm not saying that right. The Sakia Dita organization has been providing venues where women practitioners could gather and discuss their trials and triumphs and move the dial on ordination in Buddhist education for women. Again, let's pay attention to that timeline. 1980s, it's 2020. I don't feel like doing math right now. But, you know, it's not that it's not that long ago. It's not it's about what, like 30ish years, close to 40. 
not that long ago, but they have been creating safe spaces for women to come together, um, to commune together, to uplift one another, to encourage one another, to inspire, to inspire each other. And all of this is important because not only does it inspire other women, but it combats that visual that only men can be Buddhists. Only men can be Buddhist teachers. Only men can be Buddhist educators. Only men can be can belong within this religion. So it's very important that we acknowledge that um, and that we have that. And not only that, you know, it's important for women to have safe spaces to speak because, you know, as a woman, as we so clearly see, you know, you can purposely be ignored people can ignore you not acknowledge you mistreat you so it's important that we have our support groups to uplift one another and support one another that's all i'm going to say about that the final oppressive system you guys are going to hear me talk about is heterosexism now i'm not going to talk too much about this uh in this episode i'm going to talk more about it in another episode um because i just i i want to talk about another episode but when i do talk about heterosexism you guys will pretty much hear me uh uh you guys will pretty much hear me ask the questions of how does buddhism respond to heterosexism because you know when it comes to religion your sexuality i mean i feel like religion pretty much speaks to all areas of your life you know your romantic life um your fam- your family your sexuality your morals your um your finances you know and so 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 many things so um one of the things i'm curious to know is how buddhism responds to heterosexism especially because you know that's something that is uh very it's not i don't want to say it's only significant for our generation but i feel that the conversation regarding this topic has changed a lot over the years and we're able to openly discuss it with my generation um and not only that because i feel that a lot of people belonging to my generation you know this is something that is very significant for us and seeing how religious systems respond to our sexuality so um I just want to touch on that topic for all of my non-heterosexual brothers sisters non-gender conforming family out there um and it's a very interesting topic and a very interesting conversation because uh, with sexuality being one of those things, even the conversation surrounding sexuality is changing. You know, before is one of those things where it's like, oh, well, you only can have an attraction to uh, one sex. And then now it's all you can have an attraction to, you know, there's more than one sex now. So that's another reason why I want to have that conversation, you know, and just seeing how they respond to uh, all these changes that we have going on within the world and seeing 
every type of comfort and support that they offer to those who are not heterosexual. Um, But that's where I'm going to leave it. So thank you guys for tuning in and coming to get these spiritual vibrations for your mental stimulation. You have been a phenomenal and an amazing audience, and I would like to thank you guys for tuning in. I have been your hostess, Keeks, and I hope you have a beautiful, blessed week.